we as humans have so many so many emotions daily, right? For example, if I have a bad day yesterday and I come into the office, I'm trading today, I will feel I'll most likely make a mistake, right? So uh, coming from a background of computer sciences where I study at Waterloo anyways, I always wanted to build something that's like not been done before. So for with agency capital, the idea has just struck me. How about we automate trading? George, man, welcome to the first live edition of the Disrupt Podcast. Yeah, thank you, Ravi. Such a pleasure to be here with you. And I know this is the first episode of January, so super pumped. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I was going to say, so this is going to be the first episode of um, Bluemix, the Disrupt Podcast, where we're doing live. Um, you know, starting this year, we're pushing ourselves to do more live content um, as a way to counteract the fact that nobody watches podcasts on video. Um, everyone's listening to us on audio now. It's it's complete transformation from how we started. So when we started this, we started this as a purely as a video kind of experience. Um, you know, high quality HD, 4K cameras that were you know like in studio kind of setup. So now we kind of switched into a mode where like everyone is just listening to content. No one's really watching stuff. So George, I'd love to start with yep. that. You know, you're also someone who consumes a lot of content and. Uh, um, you know, wants to go into produ- producing content. What do you think right now? Like, yeah. how are you consuming content? How is that helping your journey? And um, how is that moving? Yeah, I so I, when I just started out building my business, I read a lot of books. So I will buy a lot of books on Amazon. And my roommates would think I'm a crazy person because I will have like 10 books ordered a month. So that was the way I consume content. Mm. And then I think that's when the, the thing about podcasting started to pop up. So when I was driving, I was in Waterloo a lot for a long time. So when I drive from Waterloo to Toronto, which is like an hour and a half drive, I always open the podcast and I always play the podcast. So that's the way I've been consuming content, you know, for the past. I never, I never watched like a long form podcast on, on video though, unless it's like a video lecture. So I started podcasting on like listening to, listening to podcasts and watching them on YouTube. Joe Rogan on YouTube was so good because it wasn't just like you can hear this, but like they brought up all these visuals and, you know, brought in like these crazy obscure scientists or um, people writing books <laughs> and being able to pull up information and showcase that. So the idea, you know, of, of content has evolved, right? So podcasting is a listening experience, like social audio. Uh, it's so new. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ten years ago, most people, were, the only thing they listened to was music by itself. You know, if you're consuming information, yeah. you're, you're watching video. Now it's like you can sit and listen mm-hmm. to audio, you know, like so, uh, someone talking about things while you're working out or driving a car. Uh, but, you know, talk radio was a thing back in the day. But I feel like this is different <laughs> from that, you know. Yeah, it is. Yeah, totally, totally. I think you know a lot more about media than me. But I've just been recently starting to have the idea of producing a podcast. So we can talk about it later today as well. And, you know, been pretty fortunate to have you as our producer for the new podcast coming up. Yeah, I'm super so excited really for this, George, because, um, you know, when you came to us with the concept of what you had in mind, I think it really, one, it fits right into the, the, the landscape of the conversations we want to have and uh, we want to power, uh, but the lens that you're looking at things from. So for everybody who's like, you know, going to be listening in and uh, watching this, uh, when we start with that, uh, can you give us a little bit of background of uh, who you are and what you're currently working on? Sure. Sounds awesome. So yeah, my name is George. I'm this year I'm turning 23. 
And I'm an entrepreneur, startup entrepreneur, and I've started many companies before. Um, and I'm currently working on my latest startup, ANC, which is actually a very interesting concept. So it's a cash management platform for high-rising startups. So for example, Ravi, I'm sure you've heard the venture market has become really, really crowded mm-hmm. and competitive in the past yep. year. So last year in America, startups were raising $904 million like every single day. Oh, wow. And <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, right? It's crazy. And the craziest thing is like most of that money is being placed somewhere at a bank account where right now under current environment, it's earning them 0% yeah. right now. So last year they raised $330 billion and there's nowhere. And basically they're earning zero yield. So they're making the banks rich and they're not making the startups themselves rich, right? And we see inflation raging. We see all these societal issues. It's more expensive to hire employees. It's more expensive to buy, to lease your office space, right? So all those things are getting challenging. As a founder myself, I understand how challenging it is. That's why I'm starting ANC, which we're building a very proprietary set of technologies to help startups navigate this in a safe way mm-hmm. and in a very liquid way. So, so that's what I'm doing. I love this so much. Um, I was I just had a com- I had a conversation with a similar concept, but using crypto. The idea that startups now need to hold some capital in crypto, especially in ETH, mm-hmm. um, just to be able to you know uh, uh, send and receive a, um, a currency there. Some freelancers you hire now can be hired on ETH um, and other crypto mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies, right? So the idea was. How do we entice and get startups to hold uh, crypto without the volatility? And they're like, they were selling like futures or some kind of like contract where they would hold the crypto on, on behalf of companies. But all this points to mm-hmm. show is that how transactions happen and how we kind of work with, uh, uh, you know, use capital is changing, right? I, I have heard this great quote that um, yeah, from uh, on a crypto podcast. It's like, we're, you're used to the idea of time being money coming from a labor uh, market, right? But uh, now mm-hmm. the co- real concept is seeing time, uh, seeing money as energy. Uh, and the new systems nowadays allows energy to be programmable. Uh, so in, in that kind of, <laughs> right? Because we're also moving to a market where there's a lot of robots doing a lot of work. Um, machines, machine labor, and things are kind of kind of the place to be. So, I love you know you're kind of taking this because you look at it from like uh, a, a builder kind of perspective, right? What does that look mm-hmm. like as a technologist looking into helping out with how cash flow and capital moves in economies? Um, how do you look at things? I think the first approach to look at this problem is like why hasn't anyone done this before? Because startup has been raising money since I guess the 1990s. Mm-hmm. And their money has always been in a bank account. So, so what can we offer? So I'm just always asking myself, what can we offer that's like truly unique, right? And I look at and I look at this from two perspectives. The first perspective, it's the evolution of technology, mm-hmm. right? So if you're building a fintech company, I think the first thing you need to look at is is the regulation, is the compliance there ready? Can I build something in a fast pace and with a low cost? Mm-hmm. So up until last year, it wasn't really possible to build something that we plan here at ANC. Because the tech, the the regulatory framework, the APIs are just not ready. So even if I want to launch something like this, it'll probably take me two years just to figure out the infrastructure and build it and launch it. So we are really in a fortunate time because of our, you know, specific, a few of our specific partners in the fintech space have just recently launched their API targeting business to business transactions and onboarding business to business accounts for brokerages, which is part of what we need. So I think the first, the first solution is just like, we're really on a good time and we just got really lucky. 
And I think the second thing um, about like why we're unique to solve the problem is that underlyingly, I, I'm not sure if you know, Ravi, but I've been working on a quantitative hedge fund mm. called ANC Capital for the past two years. So it started off as a side project. Um, it started off actually in, in January 2020, me and a group of friends from University of Waterloo, we came together with an idea, let's start trading because it sounds so cool. <laughs> and then March 2020 happened, which is like, you know, one of the worst crashes in history. Um, we actually survived. But then, you know, after that, uh, we posted a lot of like proprietary trades, sorry, not proprietary, discretionary trades, which is basically like we are making hu human decisions on which stocks to buy, which stocks to sell. And a lot of those decisions didn't really go Can so Can you well. walk us through that? Yeah. Um, especially about March, you said 2021, uh, it's one of the worst trading days. Can you elaborate a little bit further on that? Yeah, yeah March 2020, actually. Okay. That was when the coronavirus hit the mm -hmm. US and the global market panicked. So that's when a large chunk of, of, of stocks lost maybe half the value in like maybe an hour or two hours. Um, fortunately, we weren't really in the market by then. We're still analyzing, figure out what we want to do in the market. So we started trading, I think, around May 2020. So we started like like in discretionary trading. As I said, it's actually like a few a few of us. Each one of us have like 25% of portfolio. And then we would just pick stocks, we would execute stocks. And it didn't really go so well. And that's why, you know, prompted me to start ANC Capital. Because, um, because from my experience learning from the failure of discretionary trading of our own is that we have we as humans have so many so many emotions daily right for example if i have a bad day yesterday and i come into the office i'm trading today i will feel i'll most likely make a mistake right so uh, coming from a background of computer sciences where i study at waterloo anyways i always wanted to build something that's like not been done before so for with agency capital the ideas just struck me how about we automate trading how about we automate trading and putting it in a way so that it's running every day on the background. We just need to make sure the risk management principles are in check. We just need to make sure that the system is not going to do anything, you know, like too crazy. We're not going to lose 25% a day, right? For example. So that was the idea. And personally, I didn't really believe in myself. <laughs> and that was the honest idea because I was watching, you know, like Wall Street Journal, Venture Times. They were saying like building something like that costs at least millions. So I was initially pretty scared. So we went in with a thousand bucks and that's actually how much like we spent investing on inf infrastructure. And basically after, you know, after 6, 7 PM, like me and my co-founder Rashdi, we will come to my dorm room and we'll actually work on the idea of ANC capital. And we had many, like we had many mistakes made because like it was such a new thing. And we really didn't understand how it is like to build a quant finance structure. So it took us, I think two to three months to actually fully build it. And then once we built it, it took off like it was it was crazy. It took off. And then every day we just put the program on. It's going to run in the background. It's going to trade in a stock market quantitatively with a risk management principle, just like a human, but more principled. And yeah, we're, we're surprised to see like beating S&P, beating NASDAQ, beating even most hedge fund indexes. So crazy journey on the ANC capital part. Yeah. Um, like walk us through that um, a little bit of that, because. I remember doing like a, a talk at a high school uh, in 2019, mm -hmm. back when things were open. And this, I remember this one, one kid asking is like, you know, I want to go into, into stocks in the future. Like all he really wanted was to make some money and he wanted to go into stocks. And he thought that picking stocks was going to, you know, uh, able to like leverage some, some great returns. And I told, and I told him like, mm -hmm. have you looked into how machines are being used to pick stocks? Like it's more of an engineering mm -hmm. problem now 
than it is like a, yeah. a, a human problem, uh, than it is like a, a, a analysis problem, right? An analyst problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and totally. he hasn't. And I'm like, you know, that's something that you have to think about because uh, this quantitative trading style, this idea of using large data sets and leveraging machine learning and, uh, you know, like m- machines that do uh, labor for you, run a thesis, if you will, right, is, uh, is a new way of looking at um, capital as, 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 a, as, a, as a market itself. So how do you look at it from like a, almost like an engineer, a builder kind of sense? What does quantitative capital look like to you? How do you how do you build a thesis? What parts of it is inquires your creative output and other parts of it is it building off of leveraging other tools that exist? Yeah, that's a, such a great question. So I think first we can talk about the mm-hmm. team and I, I'm happy to share, humble to share that it's not because I'm smart. So we build this agency capital. It was actually through many smart people um, on the team. So we actually combined tech, which I'm representing the tech side because I come from computer science. But let's be honest, I'm not really a finance person, right? I didn't study finance majors. I studied finance in college. It was mostly just like a blur to me at the mm-hmm. time. So I didn't really know much. So we had help. We had help from a friend of mine named Joshua. So he he was working with two different UK hedge funds as a trader. So one of them being called Amplified Trading, which is pretty popular. So he worked there for a couple of years and now he's joining us, um, you know, since 2020. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty pumped about that. So I think a lot of like the knowledge actually comes from Joshua in terms of, you know, like how, how do you evaluate risk? How do you scale risk? And how do you make sure that the trading is safe and secure? So a lot of ideas that come from him. And my other co-founder on this, uh, his name is Harman, who's our CIO. Um, he comes from the experience of Berkshire Hathaway and a few other financial firms um, in the U.S., and he's the same age as my, uh, me, basically. So he's pretty accomplished himself. So he actually comes up with the um, quantitative strategies. He actually comes up with the trading strategies. And then basically, we will use a lot of outside help, which I can talk about in the second half. But first half of the team can do it alone, no way to do it alone. And so humble to have a finance team that's like strong and powerful to work with us. And the second part, I think you asked about like what kind of tools that we have to leverage. It was really a hard question um, like for us initially. Um, so, but I, I think we're very fortunate. When we started in like about April, 2020, there was a tool on the market um, called Quantopian. It was actually um, built by John, who's the CEO and a very talented team um, based in Boston. So they basically, the idea of Quantopian is that they actually democratized quantitative finance in, in, in a way that you can just sign up for an account and if you know how to code, they provide the data, they provide the backtesting, which means that, um, for example, uh, Ravi, if you have a strategy, um, how do you know it's performing in the past 20 mm. years? So that's called a backtest. So we basically run a stimulation uh, of the stock performance for the past 20 years, the strategy performance. And they provided all that. So we were really lucky when we started Quantopian was there. Um, and, and we basically utilized the tools called Quantopian to jumpstart our quant experience. And that saved us months of time developing the infrastructure. Um, and, you know, the unf- unfortunate thing is like, you know, although uh, their team is super, super smart, super brilliant, mm-hmm. um, their tool had to shut down in the end of 2020. And that was kind of like a setback for us because we, we were relying a lot of like our trading on those, you know, brilliant engineers figure out the tools. So after that, we have to say, oh, my God, now we cannot rely on others. We have to build our own. And then that's when we started building everything in-house. And it's been an epic journey uh, last year, I would say. I like, man. That is such a cool thing, right? So you uh, like the idea that you've uh, you've outlined here, looking from an external point of view. You've been twenty three. You teamed up with about uh, three, three, four other like high performers, and you came together to, to um, take on something that 
generally seem like you would do later on in life, right? a quantitative training fund. What, <laughs> like, you know, let's talk a little bit about motivations and, you know, what took you, what brought you to the challenge of starting something like this, yeah. you know, like why here, why now? Yeah, I, I think I think part of it is like I really don't like repeating things others have done before, and I think it's like my, per, my my own personalities. So when I hear about day trading as a as a fund, for example, if I were to be a CEO of a day trading firm, I will feel very demote demotivated because I feel like like right like there are so many there are hundreds of other funds out there. They probably have like smart people as ours, and we're basically just competing with human intuition, solving problems. But in the end, we're solving the same things everyone else is trying to solve at least right. It's like opening a hedge fund that's not quant for me, right? And, and then there's really no unique edge. I have to just basically compete on the fundamentals with everyone else. So I would say that's dismotivating. And, and initially, when we do the discre- discretionary trading idea, that was my idea at the time. I, I'd say, guys, I don't like this. I don't like making discretionary decisions, human decisions. And then we have an epic fail and we have to reflect. I want it to be automated. So... And, and, and the idea is like, I just really want to build something that's like unique and complex. And I want to build something that's like, has never been done before. And that has a potential of changing, you know, things for so many people. And, and I think Quantopian was the inspiration for me back then. Because they spent years, maybe seven years, 10 years, building something that's complex. And they open source all of it, right? And if you look back at like, oh, what, what, what are the hedge fund guys doing? What are the Wall Street mm-hmm. guys doing? They build it in-house and they never share it out. Right. It's only people in the tech community who's humble enough, who's kind enough to open source their tech so people like, you know, me and my firm can use it. Right. That and that I think differentiates what what is tech and what is finance. It's it's two very different worlds. And right now, basically what we're trying to do with ANC is we're trying to combine those two worlds to provide services, eventually can, you know, democratize quant finance for everyone in the world, right? At a very, very affordable price. And that's what we're trying to do. That's that's wicked. Um, I love I love that little ending you put there about bridging two worlds. Uh, you know, there's this um, Mark Andreessen quote that's famous now, that software is eating the world, is eating the world. Yeah. But now we're seeing it being, the world being digested, you know? Like everything's <laughs> becoming a market problem. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, that's, I think that's one of the things we're seeing like renaissance in, in tech, renaissance in innovation. Everyone's just launching these companies, launching startups. is because like, um, you know, like you can slice away some problem that exists right now and, and turn into a market problem and launch a startup around it or, or against it. So I'd love to see like, you know, the evolution of where this takes you. Like, do you see this arm, this, this vehicle you've created, um, you know, an ability, a money machine that you just keep growing and developing in front of clients? It, does it um, allocate or do you see as a vehicle allocating to do free year up to work on other things? Um, you know, sometimes some people are like professional starters, right? Entrepreneurs who just mm-hmm. who yeah. love starting new things, not necessarily mm-hmm. operating what they've created long term. It's two different kind of lifestyles, yeah. two kind of shifts. What do you see yourself as, totally. like, as an entrepreneur building things continuously, or an operator that can, um, you know, that eventually maximizes uh, on, on compounds on what you've started? Yeah, I, I think I'm getting very good at starting companies at this point, to be <laughs> honest. So if you tell me, I if I if you tell me to start a new company now, I'll probably refuse that. Um, but if I do it, I can get it up and running probably in, in a month or two. So I'm really good at starting companies, and part of me really want to challenge myself into scaling companies, mm. right? Because I built companies before that are super super profitable, super high revenue, but it's just like how do we get to the next step, 
And I had issues with my previous company about that, about scaling to the next level, right? From a few hundred thousands to a million, from a million to 10 million. Um, so that was the issue. With, with ANC, I think, like I can share with you, Ravi, as well, we have a three steps plan. And the three steps plan is basically to, to democratize quant mm-hmm. finance eventually for everyone. Yep. So the first plan we're doing is with the ANC fund itself. So it is a hedge fund. Uh, I know when I tell people, oh, we're a hedge fund, the look on their face, you know, like sometimes can express some uh, hatred at, at times. <laughs> um, but, you know, that, that's what we're trying to do, right? Like, so, but but we're trying to bring the hedge fund more accessible to the day-to-day investors, right? So if you look at who's been investing in quant funds, you look at the world's largest pension funds, firefighter funds, you look at the world's largest insurance companies, right? For example, like Ravi, if you're like a high net worth individual who has money, you, you can't only put your money in the bank. You can't really spend it elsewhere. You can invest in some smaller hedge funds who might want to take your money. But quant funds is such like a, you know, like a complex concept, mm-hmm. right? That people can, can build quant funds. They don't need money from you or me. So that's what we're trying to do. We're opening up um, an opportunity for a waitlist for our first fund with 99 like in, in initial investors um, for the fund. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, and, and we're very specific. We're not, we're not taking, you know, like large, large institution money, like insurance companies. Um, so that's the first step. The second step is exciting. It's called ANC Treasury. So we're bringing the solution of ANC available for every company eventually on the planet, mm-hmm. every single company on the planet who wants to invest quantitatively. They can do it with ANC Treasury. And the third step is eventually for every human on this planet who wants to trade quantitatively, we'll probably eventually open source our tools. So if you want to, if you want to trade quantitatively without using ANCs, fund or ANC's tech, like ANC's strategies, you can build your own, right? But if you want, we'll provide a very simple tool, just like Wealthsimple here in Canada and Wealthfront in the US. It's as easy as deposit your money and put it in and watch it grow. Mm. So those are our three steps plans. And it's a big challenge for me personally, because I've never scaled companies to that kind of scale yeah. before. So super exciting. And I'm taking on this challenge and I want myself to be more of an operator going forward. I love that. Um, yeah. Like, Isolating the idea that starting a company is one thing, but scaling it to a certain level is a, a different degree of competence, right? Uh, in, in this kind of market, in this kind of game. You know, George, man, I, I, you said some things right there. I, I feel like we can dive another hour of breaking down what that <laughs> means for the world, what that means, like the repercussions of, uh, of mm-hmm. uh, your vision coming to place, right? Like, what does it mean for the average people to have access to capital allocations like, um, what is it, accredited investors? Right, only have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, you know. We'll touch on that. We've touched on that a few times on in, in previous episode. But this frustration that regular people don't have access to uh, the you know the the capital returns that wealthy people do because we don't have access to infrastructure. This is a technology problem, and it seems like you're solving that kind mm-hmm. of platforming issue of how can you get a stable platform that the masses kind of utilize without needing expensive team of lawyers and analysts and and mm-hmm. things working under you. Uh, it's all automated. But I want to go back to something you yeah. originally said um, in one of your, in your opening statements about who you are, right? So you say, you mentioned mm-hmm. you're 23 and you've opened uh, many companies. Walk <laughs> us through that statement a yeah. little bit because I, I'm sure that the guy that got interest of anyone who heard that. Um, what does that mean? Like, you know, what, what, what have you done in the past? Yeah. And I just want to be honest that, you know, like some of those companies actually failed. Of course. Some failed yeah. very miserably, yeah. right? And I, so... So like, I, I would just say to everyone who wants to start a business, uh, embrace failure in your first few because you are going to fail. Um, sometimes it's going to suck, mm-hmm. but you know, it's going to be fine. But I, I'll show you uh, what I have done. So um, 
So when I when I'm in college, first year, I started my first company, um, and, I, and I just moved, you know, from China to Canada at the time. Um, you know, I, I, my 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 parents really wanted me to work in the Silicon Valley, so they wanted me to become a software engineer. So that I started computer science, and that's what I've been doing. But basically, after coming here, you know, I really feel like there's some solutions that I can help build. I really didn't think about the word startup at the time. I just thought I wanted to start some businesses and I wanted to explore something new. Mm. And you know, one of the things I initially started it's um it's it's, it's inter intercity ride sharing app because I've seen people. I was in Waterloo. I see people from Waterloo having to get a ride share, having to get a carpool to go to Toronto, especially for students. And and it's not a very convenient experience. So I and me, me and a few other friends teamed up. Solved this problem. Um, we built the app. We launched it, um, and then we failed in about the four the fourth month mark, you know, because um, because the insurance costs were just skyrocket high, and basically even even though we did a bunch of like car uh, ride shares, um, it just wasn't able. We weren't able to maintain our cash flow mm. without keep losing money. So we pulled the plug on that one, um, you know. And then after that, uh, I took a break for a year. I basically went to uh, co op, which is internship at other companies. So I was uh, internshiping at the, the brilliant company in basing SF. It's called Doc.io, which is a crypto uh, web 3.0 company. I've learned so much um, from the CEO, whose name is Nick. Um, super brilliant guy, and I had so much, like I have so much trust and beliefs from mm -hmm. those guys. It's actually crazy. C imagine yourself as a second year student, and then you're joining a startup which has raised twenty million dollars, right? Like, would you would you imagine the CEO putting much trust in yeah. you? As being like one of the lead, one of, I mean co-leaders of company, yeah. and they were just so gracious. I've learned so much, and I understood like if I were to redo, redo my first ride share idea, I would have never done. Mm. So that's when I took the idea, and I launched like I think officially my first startup, and it's super complex as well. It's solving a very niche problem. It's called Simple Direct, and it's helping basically home improvement contractors, right? People who do roofs, people come to your house, do roofing, windows, and you know HVAC. And just general renovations. So they're our customers, and the problem that we saw from those those people is that they're having a really really hard time closing deals, because like for example here in the GTA area, you can have you know thousands if not more contractors together, right? And it's very hard for one contractor to convince you, Robbie, to hire mm -hmm. them. So we basically build this financing platform for contractors, and the idea behind it is very interesting. So my roommate's dad is a contractor. And then he just recently moved to Canada, by the way. Um, and he told me, George, it's so hard to close any deals here in the GTA because like a lot of people just couldn't even afford my services, right? And you look at the services, it costs like 6,000 to like 15,000, sometimes even more. Like I can't even put up that much, you know, at times, like when I was a student or even like when I just started working, mm -hmm. right? That, that amount of cash is like a lot of ask yeah. for people. So, and in, a, in, a, in the same time, like I see it back in China, I see like, you know, peer to peer loans getting really popular. So that really struck me as an idea that I wanted to build a financing marketplace where we connect contractors and their customers to different lenders back in the US. And we basically build this platform that facilitates loans for them so that contractors can close the loans and get more sales and they just pay us a fee, basically. So that was like the, you know, truly first business I've been working on and it has been very rough initially, I have to say, because I have no idea how it works. Uh, we are going, we're diving down into an industry where it's like so difficult because it's construction, yeah. right? And most people in construction are not tech savvy. And a lot of the challenges come from how do we convince them to use a software and how do we convince to tell other people about our software? So those are the two most complex things at a time. 
I love this post you made a few days back um, describing your first cold call. Um, you know, you made to um, <laughs> yeah. a, a contractors in Texas um, in order to move yeah. your product. Um, I think, yeah. you know, uh, what I loved about that the most is that one of the rarest things to find is someone who can build a technology solution and sell them, right? And vice mm-hmm. versa. Someone who can yeah. sell a product and also uh, and build something. Generally, people focus on, um, you know, uh, on one or the other. You can build, but you, you struggle to sell or you can sell and you struggle to build. Yep. And they're stuck in the, in the dynamic, right, of like not being able to get, yeah. uh, you know, a, a chicken or the egg running to get this company started. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yep. walk us through that experience a little bit. You know, you built this kind of tool that's uh, inspired by your friend's dad. It's problem set. Mm-hmm. You know, we, uh, you know, how did that go into like into like commercializing the market? Like um, that yep. post, I remember talking about. You know, you said the first two calls didn't do good, but your third call or something yep. like somebody spent an hour with you, outlining all the problems yep. they had, and that gave you this learning curve, right? So something, yep. something called exactly. like founder-led sales. Founder-led sales is completely <laughs> different from like an institutionalized sales process that like a sales team or members of a sales team would do. You know, so yeah, can you walk totally. me through a little bit of like, you know, as a founder, how how do you, um, and as especially as a builder, how do you approach the sales problem? I think, yeah, that's a good question. But you know, initially when we when we started calling, we didn't really have a product. So what we had is a landing page with an email sign up button. So when it signed up, we say, you know, some simple direct solution is coming soon, right? So please leave your email. And so actually, no, actually when they when they went to landing page. They had no idea it's not ready yet, but when they click on the button and then we tell them, hey, we're not launched yet, but we are soon and we'll be in touch soon. So that's a perfect way of getting you, interest before we even build anything. Were you marketing this at all or was there organic traction coming to, coming to you? So very initially, it was just making sales calls because like we had no idea whether this product would even work. I love that. Like we have absolutely zero idea. We we had, you know, my friend's dad basically told us this, but we don't know if it's like a problem faced by many others, right? So, and that's why like my co-founder Sahil at a time, like he's he's working, he's very great at sales. He, he's not a salesperson. He's he's doing the same program with me at University of Waterloo. Um, and he just kind of stand by my side. We made some calls together and I mean, I'm a builder. I'm, I'm really bad at making sales calls initially. Hmm. I was super, super scared, super nervous. Um, but then, yeah. But then, you know, he and others encouraged me. So I kind of picked up phone. I called Texas and I, I've never been to Texas. So I'm super scared. And I feel like if they ask me some, you know, in detail, concrete questions, I would just freak out because I have no idea what's going on. And, you know, like, and, but, but when we called, it went super well. Hmm. Like the guy, like basically trust us. His name is Purvis. He trusts us so well. He trusts me so well. And he just told me, George, like, here's my pain point. Here's my fear, right? I'm having issues, like, sometimes sleeping because of this. And we, yeah, and we made, like, you know, 20 calls. Some of them, like, half of them, I think, I don't think even went through. Um, but for the ones that did went through, we signed them up, and they become our initial pilot customers. Yeah. Uh, and we work with them for two months to really understand the scope of the problem and to really get feedback on the problem. Yeah, I mean, I think that speaks a lot to the business community in, in total, right? Like when you're an owner operator, mm-hmm. especially when you're, when you, when you own the own a business and you're, and you're operating it as well, you have a different appreciation for what you do, mm-hmm. uh, for the work you yeah. put in, uh, for the, uh, for the, um, for like the, the fruit you, uh, you benefit out of. Right. So, um, there is like, you know, there's this misconception of business people are 
by themselves, like, you know, by nature, aggressive, you know, you know, sharkish <laughs> behavior, you know, um, steal ideas, like this very negative kind of trope of like, of greedy, of capitalism, avoiding greed. But like, you see a lot of cooperation across businesses, right? Like uh, businesses in different lines of function will form together to create alliances like this. You're saying, hey, I, 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 I want to build this thing, but I want to understand the market better. These people are building in the market. And they're like, you don't have anything ready for us right now. You can't help us right now. But if I tell you, you know, what my problems are, maybe you can help me. Maybe you can make them disappear. And there's no monetary yeah. things being exchanged right now, but there is a set of values and trust, right? So that's one of the main reasons I love podcasting because it's kind of like an extension of this. It's like how mm-hmm. when you run business open and transparently, when you build in public, like the hashtag on Twitter, yeah. right? Like there's, an op- totally. there's a better appreciation amongst other people doing the same who just who just appreciate you for for the aspect of building and the aspect that you're you're yeah. in this you know you're 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 going through the same kind of problems and tribulations that they are all right it's almost like a you know being part of this tribe so i, I would love to yep. end this off with a little conversation about you know the podcast you're launching builders build um, yep. that we're hoping to power and keep it running for, for a while you know let's talk a little bit about the motivations there because um, you're someone who clearly built uh, some cool things, worked on a bunch of cool projects. Uh, what do you hope to gain yeah. out of this? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I think when I just first started, Ravi, it was, it was super difficult. When I started Simple Direct, um, we basically received no support. We don't know how to reach out for support. And there's like initial year was the hardest because we just try to figure out how everything works. Right. And as I, as I progress towards like being more experienced in, in, in the startup community, I still see there are many students, there are many college students, there are many people in general, not even college students, people who are in, in their 20s, 30s, 40s, trying to build a new venture. Um, but like they just couldn't get any useful resources on what it's like. And I want to build a platform, a medium that helps people understand that building something is not just about success. Because if you go to Twitter, if you go to startup Twitter or go to VC Twitter, um, unfortunately, the most things you're going to see is like people's success stories, right? But I think that's a little bit it's like like tweaking the information into other other forms because I will say fifty percent of this journey, maybe sixty percent, is about failing. Actually, maybe ninety percent is about failing. Ten percent is about success, right? And I just want people to take a look at what is it like to be an entrepreneur, so they can better judge it for themselves. And that's the first um, purpose for this. And a second purpose, I think, is just like a lot of builders and makers don't like to talk about themselves. Because they feel shy. They feel like, you know, the world doesn't really revolve around me. I'm just building a service, building a great thing for people. But, you know, like as, as I progress my entrepreneurial journey, I've spoken with like many, many really smart, brilliant entrepreneurs. Um, they wouldn't be talking on podcasts, which is why I might have to beg them to be on podcasts. But spending 10 minutes, 15 minutes with some of them has saved me days, weeks, hmm. months of time at times. And speaking with many of them, they just feel, I sometimes just feel so selfish to be talking to them all by myself. <laughs> I want to share, yeah, I want to share the same information to everyone else, right? Yeah. Because we are in a democratizing environment and I feel like knowledge is being democratized and podcast is free to listen to. It's a great medium and no one where you are, US, Canada, you know, India, China, elsewhere, you can listen to the podcast and make a decision by yourself and get informed by yourself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if I were starting my own business at a time and if something like Builders Build were to happen, it would be great. Because I will be able to listen to so many stuff about how it really is instead of just the success stories. Man, that's so 
you, you, you mentioned a few great points there. And the, the real aspect that really drives me is that I think we share the same kind of values. I, I thought the exact same thing, you know, back when I was like going around and, and, and meeting founders in like uh, conferences and like, and uh, events, I was doing it professionally. And I'm like, the stories I'm hearing is so great. I felt selfish. I'm like, more people need to hear this. And every time I told it to people, I'm like, they're like, wow, I would love to hear more about that person. But there's no, there's no way of doing that, right? So uh, I think, you know, fast forward, it's like five years ago. I mean, I mean, you know, I started the podcast five years ago. And it's well to see the how times have changed and see, and seeing more people kind of enter the phrase. So what I'm really looking forward to, you, uh, to having you, George, uh, um, you know, working with us is being able to power more of those kind of conversations it's through a different type of lens. Especially someone, you know, at yeah. your age category has accomplished so much, doing, hitting, uh, and still like, you know, doing, um, uh, doing so much more. Um, I think you, you, you're gonna you're gonna dissect um, what's going on in this space right now and all the all the movement in this world in a different kind of light and different lens. So I'm looking forward to like yeah. that that uh, that um, that shadow you cast. Yeah, thank you so much for the compliments. Um, you know, like and also part of the reason of Bellation Podcast is also like to grow my to grow myself, right? Because I feel like even even though like a lot of people say George, I've already done so much, I feel like it's just not enough, and I feel like I'm still in a very beginning phase. Yeah. I will always tell myself day one, season one. That's the way I always tell myself because I, I I don't look back at like yesterday what I've accomplished. It's more about today and forward. So talking to those like brilliant, brilliant entrepreneurs gives me the idea about like getting spending more time with them as well, right? As well as like of course sharing it with the whole world, um, but also just to get myself to grow, right? Like I have I had some opportunity talking to people who are younger than me, to be quite honest, and so much more brilliant than me and. I just got so touched. Uh, I just got so surprised and shocked. And honestly, I hope to bring them onto my podcast, Builders Build, as well. That's awesome, um, George. We'll cut it here. Uh, I think this has been this has been a great uh, first live stream uh, for this show. Uh, thank you so much <laughs> yeah. for being part of this. Um, we're definitely, of course, going to do some more cross uh, cross platform cross connections between our two shows. But I'm really looking forward to seeing you know you up here uh, asking the questions. Yeah. So looking forward to that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ravi. Appreciate it. Everything. Thank you.